Wow, that was some cool worship this morning. Uh, love worshiping the Lord. I love that old song. It's an old song now, but uh, How He Loves. Woo! Love that. It gives me goosebumps. Um, they did an awesome job today. And I just want to say, that is so true, isn't it? God really does love us. He loves us in amazing ways. And sometimes I see that in a couple different ways. I just wanted to say, uh, from up here, I just wanted to say thank you on behalf of me and my family um, for uh, the words of encouragement you guys have given me uh, just as uh, I had a funeral uh, for my mom um, over the last couple months. I just want to say thank you. You know what's so cool is when you see God's love from, from his people, it shows you his love for us. And we can learn what God's love is like when other people love us like he loves us. And also, guys, we can love others when we fully grasp what God has given us, guys. Because this is crazy. Think about this. Think about the amazing love of God that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That we were separated from God. That our sins, that we were sinners by nature and choice and that we were separated from him. We were actually enemies of God, the Bible says. We had nothing to bring. We had nothing to give. We were walking away and God died for us. He bled he was nailed to the cross. He gave up his whole life. He stepped down from eternity for you and for me and for God's glory. Wow, that's amazing. God loves you so much. I hope you know that this morning. Now, um, we're going to jump right into our passage. This is Mark chapter 14. And we are closing in on kind of the last bits of Jesus' life. The chessboard, as it were, has been set. You've got the Pharisees, you've got the disciples, you've got Jesus, you have um, everyone, you have Judas, and you have an anointing that's going to happen today, right before Jesus' death. This is an awesome passage. This passage is talking about a woman who is going to be doing an act of worship to Jesus. She is going to be taking some oil and she's going to be pouring it out on his head, anointing him for his burial. And she's going to be doing a real, raw, radical act of worship. And it's going to be very interesting because we're going to see people around her, some of the disciples who are going to say, wow, that's a little radical. Whoa, that's a little extreme. What are you doing, lady? Why are you doing this? to Jesus. Don't, don't you think that's a little crazy? Don't you think that's a little too far? Don't you think you should save some of that for yourself or give some of it to the poor? Let's read this passage together. Let's read this. So this is Mark chapter 14, verse 1. It says, It was now two days before the Passover and, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany, while Jesus was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, he was reclining at the table. A woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment and pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. 
Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you will always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, she has done, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Wow. I love this passage. This is a really, really cool passage. And the big idea that I wanted to share with you this morning, and I think God has something really cool that he wants to say, is that radical worship, real worship, real worship is radical worship. Let me say that again. Real worship is radical worship. Here you've got this woman, and she is doing this act of worship. And you've got these people coming against her saying, wow, you know, you really should have kept some of that. You really should have gave that to the poor. You know what God wants from me and you? He wants real worship. He doesn't want fake worship. He wants our hearts. I've written down here, God wants heart worship that is all out. He doesn't want you to hold back. He doesn't want you to say, okay, maybe I'll do a little bit of what God's called me to, to do, but I'm going to hold back and not do everything that he, I know in my heart he wants me to do. God wants our heart. He wants it to be real. When you come here on Sunday morning, he doesn't want this to be fake, just something that you do on a Sunday morning. He wants it to be real, that you're coming to commune with God. You're coming to get connected again with God. He also wants it to be radical. He wants it to be real, and he wants it to be radical. And, and what I want to say is, real worship is radical worship. Real worship is radical worship. Now, I'm going to chunk through this text. I just want you guys to remember, as we go through this, think of how much Jesus loved you. If Jesus loved you this much, you can love him radically as well. If Jesus gave you all this, if he gives you free salvation, if he died for, on the cross for you, you can do the same. You can give him your best. Now, I want to read the beginning, and this kind of sets the stage for what we're talking about. So, let's go back to verse 1. It says this. Now it was two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the chief priests and scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. Here you've got the religious leaders. We've been talking about them a lot. Jesus has come against them and has even uh, pronounced judgment on them. And they are so jealous of Jesus that they are looking to kill him. Now, what's so cool is this passage has a couple parallel passages in John and Matthew, not in Luke. There's a similar one in Luke, but it's a different story. Similar, but different. But in John, it gives us a lot of cool extra details. It actually gives us who this woman is. But here you've got a brief pause that's happening right before Jesus is going to be betrayed. The next spot that we're going to stop is where Jesus betrays Jesus. The cross is coming. Jesus is seeing this. His disciples see this. And we've been going through Tethered, and Tethered is all about Jesus. Uh, we're getting a front row seat on Jesus tethering the disciples to himself, and then how we should be tethered to him, and the wisdom that Jesus wants to give, and the life that Jesus wants to give through his word. But Jesus, the ultimate tethering that's happening is through his death and resurrection. And 
they're going to be, his disciples are going to be scattered. But then after his resurrection, they are going to be literally set on fire by the Holy Spirit. And they're going to do awesome, wonderful things for God. That's what we're talking about, tethered. But you have this brief pause. And in this pause, Jesus is being anointed for his burial. You know, um, you would think that maybe Jesus, who is a king, would deserve an, a huge burial. He would deserve this giant... Uh, how many of you guys watched... This is a side point. How many of you guys watched the coronation of the king of England this weekend? What? Am I the only one? Okay, I fast-forwarded, okay? And the only reason why I watched this is because, wow, you guys, didn't we, didn't we come from there? Or at least a lot of us, but... Um, Man, I am a nerd. Holy cow, I outed myself. Um, what's really cool in that service is that there is so much scripture in there, and there's a spot where they anoint the king, and this is King Charles III, and they anoint him, and they play Zadok the priest, which is a, 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 an old school, uh, you know, orchestra number, and talking about Zadok the priest from the Old Testament, where he anointed a king of Israel. Isn't that cool? Um, where was I going with that? <laughs> there was a pause. And you know what's crazy? This is where I was going. They had all this fanfare. They had all these soldiers. They had the, like, like these cool horses with these shining helmets and stuff. But here's Jesus. He's the king of the universe. He's about to die. And this is what he gets. This is his anointing for his burial. And he gets a tomb. It's humble. His whole life is humble. Wow. This is amazing. This this is an amazing drama that's about to unfold and we're about to see. Now I want to zoom in here and I want to see what's going on with this lady. Why is she doing this? Who is she? Who is this person that's pouring out this oil? And we're going to go to uh, John here in just a second, but let's go to verse three now. Let's keep chugging along. So there's some of the background. And then in verse three, it says, while he was at Bethany, now he would go back and forth from Bethany and what's actually cool is John says that this is a flashback. So this actually is not in chronological order. But here we are. Jesus has just done the Mount Olivet Discourse. He talked about wars and rumors of wars, all the stuff that's about to happen. And then he's moving to the cross. And right in between, they do a flashback from Saturday before the triumphal entry of him being anointed for his burial. And this is Mark sticking it right here because this would be a great place for it. And while he was at Bethany, at the house of Simon the leper, he was reclining at the table and a woman came with an alabaster flask, ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. Now again, this is paralleled with Matthew and John. And I want to reveal who this woman is. And I think this will say a lot. Okay. So I have, I have it up here on the screen, but this is John chapter 12. And this is the same passage. I just wanted to read this really quickly. Six days before the Passover. So here it actually gives the timetable. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was whom Jesus raised from the dead. Okay, these are some cool, interesting new details. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha and Lazarus, or Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary took a pound of expensive ointment made of pure nard and anointed Jesus' feet, wiping his feet with her hair and the house was filled with fragrance and perfume. 
Whoa, guys, this is Mary, the sister of Lazarus. This is crazy to get some of this context because you realize, dude, she was sold out for Jesus. Imagine Mary, right? Her eyes must have been so fixed on Jesus because just a little bit before that, Jesus raises her brother from the dead. Just think about that. Just think about the emotions that Mary must have went through, right? She saw her brother die and she actually sent a messenger to Jesus to say, hey, quickly come. I know you can heal him. Come. But Jesus waits and he dies and they put him in a tomb and then Jesus comes and he says, where is he? And she says, don't, don't open that up. It's, it's, it's going to stink. Like he's been in there for a long time. And just the emotions. And she gets to see Jesus raise her brother from the dead. How amazing would this have been? How wonderful would her worship be? Now when you see that she's pouring this out over Jesus, man, look what Jesus has done in her life. Mary had her eyes on Jesus. And she was willing to do something radical for him. Now, how, I've been saying that this is radical. Why is this radical? Well, this ointment in this passage, now it goes on and it says, um, the disciples say, they're like, hey, this is a little too far. And they say, this ointment should have been sold and given to the poor for 300 denarii. Shouldn't it have been given to the poor? Now, I just want to uh, break down what this is. Three, a denarius is one day's labor. And so here, it could have been sold for more than 300 denarii. Some people say that this could have been over or close to a full year's wages that she poured out on Jesus' head. Holy cow, I use deodorant. Sometimes I use a little something, but I don't wear something that expensive. That's nuts. A year worth of wages that she poured out on Jesus? This is a little extreme. Okay, now this makes sense, right? The disciples probably said something that's a little bit reasonable. They said, wow, isn't this a little bit wasted? Shouldn't we have sold some of this and gave to the poor? Guys, Mary had a radical faith. She had a radical offering. Have you guys ever done that before? Have you ever just you know, just been so filled with Jesus that your eyes were filled, you were, you were looking at him, you were seeing, you were enjoying him, you were really, it was sinking in deep who Jesus really was, and you just did something radical for him. That's what's happening here. Mary just, she's not listening to anybody else. She doesn't have her eyes on anything else. She doesn't have her eyes on herself. She could have sold this and provided for herself. She has her eyes on Jesus. Guys, if you have your eyes on Jesus, you will do radical stuff for him. God can use you. It's real. It's genuine. Who would do this? Who would do this? Um, you know what's so crazy is? She did this because Jesus radically loved her. Jesus radically loved her. And also, just another tidbit from Mary, uh, there was points where she would be sitting with Jesus and uh, there's a story where Martha's making stuff and she's sitting there and Martha's like, hey, shouldn't Mary help? You know? And Jesus is like, hey, she's doing great. She's just taking this all in. She has been following Jesus. She has been worshiping him. And she has seen him work in miraculous, miraculous ways. Now, let's go back here to our Mark verse. An alabaster flask, she breaks it. Wow. 
Now, one other thought was from that uh, John verse, it says that the fragrance of it probably filled the whole room. Have you guys ever had that? Okay. I have hung out with a lot of teenage boys, and it is crazy. Man, I can't tell you the number of times the mission trips that I've gone on, and Axe fills the room. Woo! And that's not expensive perfume. That is just the worst stuff, man. I do not like Axe. Sorry, if you wear Axe, I am not capping you, but I do not do that, okay? Uh, that is not my wife's love language. She is not asking me to put on Axe in the morning. Woo! That's crazy, right? So you can see, man, she poured out a year's worth of oil on his head. And just imagine the smell. It would have filled the whole house. This is amazing, guys. Just think about this, what she's doing for Jesus. You know an act, a personal act can be an act of worship. Sometimes we think that worship can be uh, just something that happens on a Sunday morning when we're praising and worshiping, you know, in song. But worship should be every single thing that we do. Every single thing that we do should be an act of worship to Jesus. Whether you're washing the dishes, this is a phrase that I've heard, maybe you guys have heard this, Jesus is is found, Jesus is found in the pots and the pans. Man, when when you're just doing dishes for the millionth time, it's like, thank you, God. Thank you for letting me do this today. I just want to like die to myself and live for you. An act can be worship. If you stand up for Jesus in the, in the public realm and suffer loss because of it, that's an act of worship. If you tell somebody about Jesus, that's an act of worship. If you love your spouse, you love your husband, you love your wife, that's an act of worship. It should be. It should be. Everything that you, you do should be an act of worship. Now, let's keep going. In verse 4, you get to see their reaction. So, it's smelly, whoo, probably smelled real good. It's filling up the whole room. They're all like, holy cow, because they probably saw this at Macy's, right? They, they see the, the price tag on it. They know what it's worth. So here's the reaction. How many times has somebody, if you've done something wonderful for Jesus, just like, didn't have your eyes on anybody else, but just had your eyes on him, did something radical, isn't it true? There's little chirping birds that say, what are you doing? Isn't that a little crazy? Shouldn't you have done this? Shouldn't you have done this? Here they come. Verse 4. There were some who said to themselves, in, or there were some who said to themselves indignantly, "Why was this ointment wasted like that?" What? But you see where they're coming from. Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than three hundred denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. You know what's crazy? You can tell whose eyes are on themselves or whose eyes are not on Jesus when they misinterpret your radical love for him. If you are really worshiping God, if you're really acting, if you're doing something for God, you have people that are chirping in your ears and they're saying, well, that's a little radical. Oh, you're going a little too far. Oh, aren't you, shouldn't you tone this down a little bit? I remember this one time. For some reason, my mind goes to this story because I don't know, God's just placed this forever in my mind, and maybe God just reminds me of this a lot. But when I was in high school, um, I enjoyed playing video games. And I was really growing in my relationship with God, and I remember God convicted me deep in my heart and my soul that I was just spending way too much time. I was just 
it was not, it was not in faith that I was doing these things. Obviously, right? And I was grieving God's heart. And I did something really radical. I went home, and I had all my video games, and I snapped them all in half, right? I was just like, oh, Jesus, I love you. Ah, oh, snap this, snap this $40 game. Ah, ah. And you know, it's funny, after I did that, all, all my friends were like, well, you should have sold them. Like, you should, are you sure? You're going to want to play that again. What if we come over to your house? What are we going to do? But I did that because I loved God and I did that because I was serving Him and I was doing that because I felt sin in my life was creeping in and was getting a hold of my heart and I didn't want that. I wanted to follow Him because of His great love, because of everything that He did and I wanted to be close to Him. Do you see this? And it was real to me and I was seeing Jesus and I was understanding what He did for me and I wanted to do this. I wanted to be radical for Him. I didn't want this sin to take my heart. I want to ask you guys this morning, are you letting sin take you? Are you letting other people define what you should be? Who cares what they think? Who cares what these disciples were saying? I know they're following Jesus. Their, their eyes were not on him. We need to do whatever God calls us to do. And I tell you this, you will never feel sorry for just going all out and just being like, God, I'm just going to be real. I'm just going to be raw. I'm just going to be radical. I'm just going to do exactly what you've called me to do. Something might blow up. Someone might get mad at you. Something bad might happen. But you know what's cool? You'll never regret it. You'll never regret it. You know what you will regret? You'll regret not doing it. You'll regret holding back. You'll regret not living for him like you should. You'll regret it when you let your sin just sit there in your life. You know you should get rid of it. You know you should kill it. But you just let it sit there. Why do you do that? Don't you know how much he loved you? Why do you do it? When you see your unbelieving friend, you see him at work every single day, and you say nothing over and over again, you know what you'll regret when you get to heaven? Not telling them. You'll regret it. What's so cool about Mary? She's just like, I'm just going to do it. This is a year's wages. Oh, so cool. I want to be like her. You know what a lie that the enemy wants us to believe? Here's one that the enemy wants us to, when we see God, when we, when we feel like, oh, I should do this. Oh, I should step out in faith. Oh, I should do what God's called me to do. Uh, you get excited. You get like, oh, I'm going to be radical. You know what lie happens? Lie says this. Oh, you know, don't go overboard. Don't go overboard. I mean, that's a little overkill. You know? That's a lie. Another lie is, you know, you really shouldn't embarrass yourself. Don't embarrass yourself. You should just, you know, that's, that's what crazy people, that's Jesus freaks, right? You don't want to be one of them. Here's another one. Save some for yourself. You know, don't, I know God's calling you to give in a radical way. You should save some for yourself. Don't give it all. If you're not willing to be radical, I have this written down, if you're not willing to be radical, is your faith really real? Some of us need to ask ourselves this question and really come to terms with this idea that if you're not willing to really do anything for God, is your faith really even real? 
Some of us needs to do a heart check this morning and say, God, I see what Mary's doing. That is really cool. And I have to confess, I've never done something like that in my whole life. I've never really been radical for you at all. Some of us in this room has to have to make that confession and say, God, forgive me. I realize what I've been doing. I've realized that my heart is actually pretty cold towards you. And I don't want it to be God. And I see what's going on in your word. I see the beauty in worshiping you, in real worship, in radical worship. And I want to do that. Not that I have to be this super radical, I don't know, whatever, televangelist, but just in my own way that I should be radically worshiping you. If you're not willing to be radical, is your faith really real? I want you to ask that question. Um, now, I wanted to jump back over to, to John here really quickly, and it gives a little bit sharper view of those who were the detractors. And check out who this was. John. John says this in verse 4. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, about, or he who was about to betray him, said, why was the ointment not sold for three, 300 denarii and given to the poor? And it gives some of his uh, reasoning here. He said this not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief, having charge of the money bag. And he used, he used to help himself to what was being put into it. It was Judas. It was Judas. Guys, if you have, if you have, a voice, an internal voice that says, hey, hold back, don't do what God's going to do. You know what that voice is? That's Judas. If you hear people around you saying, oh, you know, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't be radical in that way. You shouldn't love your kids in that way. You shouldn't discipline them. You shouldn't stand up for Christ. You know what that is? That's the voice of Judas in your life. You know what's true? I think that this is very true. We're talking about being radical. We're talking about being real. You will be radical about something. I want you to receive this. You will be radical about something in your life. You'll be radical about sports. You'll be radical about your job. You'll be radical about money. You'll be radical about something. You will give it all to something. Is it going to be God or is it going to be something else? And everything that holds you back, what that reveals is, it's actually an idol in your life. Now, I want to come to the end here, and then we'll get to some applications. So, starting in verse 6 here, back in our um, Mark passage, verse 6, you have Jesus. Now, Jesus validates her worship. Jesus affirms what she is doing, that this is real, this is good. In verse 6, it says, Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing. For you will always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. Wow. I love that. Love that passage. Jesus affirms her. He says, what you did was beautiful. I just want to say, if you've ever stepped out in faith in a radical way, maybe shared the gospel with somebody or did something radical, I just want to say, I just want to say to you, that was a beautiful thing what you did. It wasn't foolish. It wasn't too far. That was beautiful. 
You are worshiping God. You are being real in your worship. That's wonderful. You know what's also beautiful? I want to challenge you with this. You know what's also beautiful? What she did was anointing Jesus for the burial. That was beautiful. You know what's also beautiful? Real repentance is beautiful in God's eyes. You know? You know what's not necessarily beautiful? Your job in God's eyes. God's probably like, that's cool. You know, you work at Arby's. That's awesome. You know? Um, But you know what matters to God is that he has our heart. And you know what's true, guys? Real repentance, real repentance. Where you say, dude, I'm, I'm going to destroy this sin. I'm going to take it out. That's beautiful. You know what's also re- beautiful? Real worship from the heart. When we get here on a Sunday morning and you sing, it's not just words, but it's coming from your heart. That's beautiful. It's beautiful. You know what's also beautiful? Real prayer. It can be joyful prayer. It can be sorrowful prayer. Time with him alone. A lot of people, you know, uh, the news doesn't look for prayer. <laughs> right? You're not going to get prayer on the news. You're going to get all the crazy stuff. On. You're going to get uh, the latest basketball game is going to be on the news. You know what's not going to be on the news? A Christian in their prayer closet. But you know what's beautiful to God? That's beautiful to God. Real prayer. A real seeking for God. A real wanting to know him. That's beautiful to God. What she did was beautiful. Now, it gives a quick point here, and I want to say this uh, just to avoid misunderstanding. In verse 7, it says, For you always will have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but I will not always, or, but you will not always have me. What he's talking about there is not saying, Hey, don't give to the poor, but he's saying, Hey, in this particular situation, her, her worship is being used. This is a good act of worship. And you know what's true about giving to the poor? that that should flow from when we see God and we see how wonderful he is, then our worship and our giving to the poor, our benevolence should flow from that. Now, here we are coming to an end, the last two verses. Verse 8. Jesus continues and says, She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. You know what's so cool? God is using her worship. God's using her radical, real worship. He's using it. You know what's so crazy is? Radical worship makes sense when we understand God. Radical worship makes sense with God. So cool. He is about to give his life. You know, there's that sense in which theologically it makes sense. He's about to give his life. Here she is anointing him. She probably didn't even know that that's exactly what was happening. But that's what he knows is happening. That God is orchestrating all these events to happen. And here, God has provided for his anointing before his burial. And she is the instrument of that. The more you know God, the more real and radical you will become. I just have these couple thoughts written down. Here, worship is used by God. It anointed him. God wants to use our worship, guys. And here's a couple actions. You're thinking, okay, this is cool. What are ways that I feel like God wants us to worship him? What are some acts? 
Because guys, if we just come here and worship God in the sense of just sing songs and we do nothing, our faith isn't worth very much. But God wants us to act that all the things in our life. So what are some things? Um, God used this worship, but he also wants to use you. He wants you to be self-governed. That ultimately, everything that he teaches in his word and everything that he's doing in his life is so that you would be self-governed. That you would kill the sin in your life. That you would love the things that God loves and hate the things that God hates. That you would spend time in his word. That you would do all these things. That's what he's trying to develop in you. That's an act of worship. In your family, God wants to use you in your family. If you're a parent in here, he wants you to disciple your children. You cannot outsource that to other people. You personally have to do it. You have to be a part of their spiritual growth. It's so important. He wants you to love your spouse. He wants you to serve your spouse. He wants you to discipline your children. He wants you to read Bible stories to your children. Do that as an act of worship. One of the things that I've, I do, and you might think I'm a, I'm a terrible person, but this is just one thing that I felt like, oh, God's convicting me. Sometimes with my kids, messy house, I'm just like, okay, we're going to play work. Seasons, come here. We're going to play work. And I'm like, okay, and I will order her around for about 15 minutes immediately. Okay, go pick this up. Okay, put it away. Okay, go pick this up. Okay, put it away. Go pick this up. Put it away. Okay, go pick this up. Here's next. Go do this. Do this. Why am I doing that? Because I'm trying to develop in her something. I'm trying to disciple her. I'm trying to show her that she can listen to authority and that ultimately as she listens to my authority, she can listen to God, her ultimate authority. The church Man, God wants to use you in the church. God wants to use you here. He wants you to serve. He wants you to love people. Lastly, he wants us to to be salt and light in this whole earth. That in our society, he wants us to be salt and light. He doesn't want us to hide, hide our candle under the bushel. He wants us to set it on the table so that everyone can see. We should be a city on a hill. Okay, now... I just want to give three points of application in closing, and these will be quick here. The first point of application is this. As we think about all this, man, real worship is radical worship. I hope you guys caught that thought this morning. Real worship is radical worship. The first thing that you should do, if you're like, man, my heart is a little sluggish. Man, it's been a long time since I've done this. What's number one? The first one is start again pursuing God personally. Start again. Start now. If you feel far from God, if you are honest and you're like, man, I haven't loved God radically in a long time. I've let a lot of people say to me, oh, I should just compromise. Oh, I should just hold back. Oh, I should just be neutral. Neutrality is a myth. You will serve somebody. Start again. Start right now. Today. Spend some time in God's word. Today. Say, this week, tell somebody you're going to do it. Ask somebody to do it with you. Get excited about this again. You know what's so cool is? Mary was so excited about God. She saw him do amazing things. I tell you what, God has done amazing things in your life. But you've forgotten them. You haven't thought about them. You've let those things pass into your old memory. You need to bring those things back. You need to reignite the love that you once had. Start again pursuing God personally right now. Where's your heart right now? Here's the second one. So the first one is start 
again, pursuing God. The second one is, know if something holds you back from Christ, that's an idol in your life. I just want you to plant a flag there. Very important. Remember this. If something holds you back from following Christ fully, that's an idol. Use that to take inventory of your heart. What is it that I am loving more than God that I would not do what he's called me to do? The first one, start again pursuing God personally. The second one, if something holds you back from Christ, it's an idol. I just encourage you, just destroy that thing. Just blow it up, whatever it is. Use my example of like breaking all the video games. You know? It's good. Sometimes it feels good. Men, sometimes what you need to do, you just need to destroy some sin, right? Break it. Yes, do it. Whoa, I just went there. All right. Number three, go thrill-seeking with Jesus. Dude, sometimes you do something awkward. You tell somebody about Jesus, it's going to be so awkward. Let me tell you, okay? I've done it. Woo! It's awkward. And the worst part, it's like a roller coaster when you're going up. You're like, I'm going to talk to this person. Oh, what are they going to think? Are we still going to be friends? Bah. You know? It's like roller coaster. You're going up. And then in the middle of it, you're like, Woo, I'm so glad I did that. And if God moves or if God doesn't move, it's okay because you're radical. Go thrill-seeking with Jesus. You know what's cool? Mary, she was just like, she just broke this thing and just poured it all over Jesus. Wow, that was exciting. That was life-giving. You know what's not life-giving? Not being radical, not being real. Go thrill-seeking with Jesus. Go tell that person about him. Go do that act of worship. Go give like he's called you to give. Go kill that sin that he's called you to, to kill for years and he's put his finger on it, but you have done nothing about that. Do it. Last thing, last point is this. Jesus had radical love for you. He had radical love for you. Um, let's pray. God, I thank you for today. Um, I thank you for your word, God. Wow, this is such a cool picture of Mary and just how she worshiped you. And God, I have to admit that sometimes I let the voices kind of take control. I let the voices of all the other people, the Judas voices, just uh, take my joy and say, man, I am just not going to do what you've called me to do. But God, I just pray that we would push those things aside, that we would be real with you, that we would be radical with you again. God, maybe one time we were like that, but now we're not. I pray that we would be, that we would return to you, God. We go thrill-seeking with Jesus. Thank you for your word, Jesus. Thank you for how you loved us. We pray that in your name. Amen.